0: Our readings from Luke chapter 9, verses 37 to 43. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God.
1: Cracking. Thanks, Steph. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, do leave that passage in Luke 9 open. Uh, we're going to be uh, kind of going through it. Uh, if it's on your phone, that's also fine. So I know for a fact that there are many people in this church who will look back on the date, the 2nd of November, 2019, and shudder. I had a great day. I was at the wedding of a couple of great friends of mine. But in the morning, we all witnessed an absolute disaster. I, I think the screen there is something different. Is that on? That's the one. Lovely. Screen there is showing something different. That's interesting. Um, yeah, on the 2nd of November 2019, after confidently beating New Zealand in the semi-final of the Rugby World Cup, England totally collapsed in the final against South Africa. We kept it tight for about 65 minutes of the game, and then we just completely let our guard down and watched the World Cup dream slip away from us. We were the favourites after beating New Zealand, the best team in the world. We played a brilliant game in the semi-final. We were all expecting to win in the final. But we were forced to endure a massive anti-climax. We were left questioning, how could we be so good one week, and then so bad this week? I think I might be the only person in the country who never really got into line of duty that much. But from what I hear... The big finale, potentially the last ever episode last week, was a huge letdown for many who'd invested so much in those characters. Those who were on the edge of their seat to see how it would all turn out. Everyone's been raging about it this week, haven't they? A huge letdown. Doesn't it sometimes feel like we get situations similar to that in our spiritual lives We're riding as high as we could be on a wave of spiritual joy and fulfillment. We're feeling like we couldn't be more loved by Christ than we are. We're ready to give our whole lives to him. We feel like we've hit the point where we truly get what it means to live as a Christian. And we can't see ourselves ever doubting or falling away from him again. And then we wake up the next morning. And we're tired, and we're stressed, and we're depressed. We begin doubting, we begin snapping, we begin failing. We lose our self-control and indulge in whatever our exhausted minds desire. We get upset by a tiny thing, and we unleash all our rage on our nearest and dearest. We begin to think, maybe I'm just not cut out for this Christian life. Maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit in me. Maybe I should just get out. Those who've been on or led on camps in the summer may be familiar with the feeling of post-camp blues. It's where we've been surrounded by Christians and the gospel for a whole week, and it's been so helpful and educating and encouraging and edifying, and you feel ready to go back home And live your life for Christ everywhere. And tell everyone you know about him. Some of our youth may be experiencing that kind of high at the moment after the youth weekend. But then we get home on the Monday. And we fall at the first hurdle. We drop back into our sinful life. We fail at the first opportunity to tell others about Christ. We look up at God. And we think. Mate. I just can't do it. I know I've been there. Well, in today's story in the Bible, we see what is quite possibly the biggest come down in the history of Christianity. So let's pray as we get into the real meat of this passage. Father, we pray that uh, you would open our hearts and our minds to what you want us to hear uh, this evening, Lord pray that we would find it so encouraging and building up for the week ahead and that we would stay strong with you and know that it is your power at work in us, Lord. Amen. So we pick up the day after we left off last week with Phil in the Transfiguration. Remember the chosen three of Peter, James and John have been given the privilege of witnessing Christ in all his glory. The almighty reality of Jesus. The truth of who he is. For the time that they've spent with Jesus, they've seen him as simply a man. A human man. An incredible human man. Probably the best man they've ever met. Maybe even the Christ. The saviour of the world. But on the mountain, they witnessed the majestic beauty of God the Son without filter. The greatest sight that anyone has ever been privileged to witness. The most astounding truth about the nature of the man that they call their friends. Then, tomorrow. We've probably all had those kind of morning after the night before feelings, right? Where something big has happened the night before, or we've just had a really great night. And then we wake up the next day. And we feel like a completely different person on a completely different planet. Me and my dad regularly go to music gigs together. Uh, we're both huge music fans and there's a bit of an overlap in our favourite artists. On a, in October twenty seventeen, we both saw Marillion live at the London Palladium. It was an incredible night full of joy and excitement that we'd both been looking forward to for ages. The gig finished at about 10.30, 11 p.m. Ten hours later, I was in Keynes Seminar Room 4 at the University of Kent in Canterbury for a 9 a.m. lecture that I was half an hour late to. It felt like I'd crashed back down to earth. The excitement and the fun of the night before was immediately replaced with tiredness and boredom. What a difference a day can make. So it is here. That coming down the mountain that we see in verse 37 really does feel like a come down as we read it. It's a huge come down from the glorious transfiguration of Jesus Christ to the brutal, heart-wrenching sight Of a boy writhing, screaming, convulsing on the ground, foaming at the mouth as his weeping father looks on and begs for help at anyone who catches his eye. From the father delighting in his son Jesus Christ on the mountain to a father watching his son suffer in front of him. What a horrible calm down. I think the feeling that I hate the most in life is when I feel out of my depth. Where I'm trying to master a skill or a task and I just feel so incapable. Sadly, in my experience, there are plenty of times where I experience that feeling. It's awful, isn't it? You're panicking, you're tense, you're sweating. You look around at the situation and you're just left with no choice but to turn to whoever's near you and just say, can you help me? I'm sorry. I can't do this. I think that's what the disciples and the uh, remaining nine apostles feel in verse 40. As the father asks for healing the disciples look at the father and just say i can't do it i can't do this and that leads us on to our first point tonight firstly you can't the apostles are in some way right aren't they they can't do what the father wants they can't heal this boy no more than i can fly or travel back in time or go invisible Can these disciples heal this demon-possessed boy? This is a few blokes from Israel against the forces of evil and hell itself. How can they do anything? They're looking around at this broken boy, at this desperate dad, at this sickening situation. What can these blokes do to make any difference? When the only man who can really help them is on his way down a mountain. Jesus is not there. They haven't got the person who can really actually help there with them. They're like a team without their star player. Like a cast without their lead actor. Like the bands Liam and Noel Gallagher set up post-Oasis. Just not the same. Nowhere near as good. They haven't got Jesus with them. They're a flock of sheep without their shepherds. What can they do? I know how I'd feel in their situation. I think we can often hear what Jesus said in verse 41. You unbelieving generation. We can hear that and sort of turn on the apostles a little bit there. We can be like... Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. These guys are rubbish. (laughs) They've seen the things that you've done. They've seen you defeat demons before. They haven't got a clue. If I were there, I... And then we stop. And we think how we would actually react if we were walking down George Street tomorrow. And we saw a child writhing on the ground, foaming at the mouth with his father beside him, weeping over his only child. I know that in reality, I'd be the first to walk by. And if I was approached by the father and asked to intervene, I'd panic. I'd flounder. I'd I'd tell him, I can't help you, mate. Because I know on my own, I can't help him. I mean, I'm first aid trained, but I've got no chance of actually making a difference here. Because when Christ is not with us, I can't. They couldn't. You can't. That is the harsh truth. But secondly, Christ can Christ enters the scene. He looks around at the panic and the distress of the faces of the crowd and his disciples. And asks. What was the fuss all about? What are you panicking over? This whole thing could have been averted if you just believed and listened to me like my father said yesterday in verse thirty five. If you just had faith in what I've been telling you for this whole time that I've known you, you'd have understand what went on on this mountain literally yesterday. And this boy would be up on his feet and back to his father in no time. How long will I put up with you? You unbelieving generation. How long will you keep missing the point? How long will you keep seeing the miracles that I do as just impressive tricks and not as real proofs of the existence of God on earth? How long will you not understand who you are when you're with me? How many times have you seen me heal people in similar situations to the boy and his dad? You can't, but Christ can. You remember Barack Obama's slogan when he ran for president in 2008? Yes, we can. For these disciples, it's definitely a case of no, we can't. We absolutely can't. But Christ can. You see, these disciples have been completely missing the point of what has been going on in this situation. They're looking at themselves and at their own powers and at the intensity of the situation. And they feel helpless and hopeless. They're out of their depth. They've got no chance of healing this boy. They're looking around at themselves and thinking, we just can't. But they're forgetting who they are. Because these weren't just some blokes from Israel against the powers of evil and darkness. They were the followers of Jesus. They were the first followers and friends of the almighty God on earth. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke for a while here at BH, haven't we? We've seen Jesus calm storms. We've seen him cast demons out of a possessed man. We've seen him raise the dead to life. And that's all just in the last two chapters. If there's one thing that Luke's gospel has taught us so far, it's that Jesus can. No matter what forces he's up against, he can. Of course he can. The son of God can. And he does. In verses 42 and 43. That unsettling and terrifying sight of a boy convulsing under the power of a demon that he is no match for is greeted by the calm hand and soft voice of Jesus Christ. And the greatness of God is evident for all to see in verse 43, not least of which the boy and his father. Do you ever get those moments where you feel swamped, where you feel like there's just so much around you to do, so much going on, and you feel like you just can't do it? You can't keep going. You can't achieve the task that you want to. You feel incapable and incompetent of what you've been asked to do. You're out of your depth. You've got no chance. Those who've heard me share my experiences of depression and anxiety and low self-esteem, know that I've got one of those minds. I've just got one of those minds that constantly tells me, you can't do this. You're incompetent. You've got no chance. Two weeks ago, I was looking at the stuff that I had coming up in this month of May. This sermon, two service leads, two rooted talks, a talk at the SGP course on Zechariah, a two-page long reflection, a few leads for Thursday Explorers, leading the meetings for the youth weekend, the Format One planning weekend, starting prep for camp, and a few thoughts for the day. I was just thinking, I can't do that. No way can I do that. I'm sure many of us are looking at our week ahead at work, at the pile of papers on our in-tray, and just thinking, we can't do any of that. But Christ can. And so finally, so you can. Christ can. So you can. We can. Flip with me to the start of this chapter, the first uh, two verses of this chapter, Luke, one, uh, Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I reckon Jesus probably spoke out loud when he gave the disciples the power and authority to drive out demons. I know if I was doing something huge and important like that, I'd probably let them know. Just a few verses ago, the disciples were told that they have the power and authority to drive out demons in the name of Jesus. In Mark's gospel, chapter six, verse 13 it suggests that the apostles had even cast out demons themselves before this event in Luke 9. All this time, all this panic that they were going through without Jesus, all the struggle and stress that they were going through to and the panic over this boy. And they had the power to cast out demons at their fingertips all along. They had Jesus's power with them. But they had forgotten the power that Christ gave them. They lost faith in Christ's ability to work through them. They thought it was up to them. It was all on them. If they couldn't cast this demon out, then no one could. It was all up to them. But it was up to Christ to heal this boy. It was the power of Christ that was always going to heal this boy. Remember the power of Christ that we saw last week on the mountain. In all that glory, the incredible transfiguration, the beauty of heaven descending on Jesus Christ. That power hasn't changed. That power is still the same. That power hasn't changed just because they've come down a mountain. That power that Jesus gave those disciples, that power that was evident on that mountain, was with them. It hasn't changed. So for us, whether at the top of the mountain or the bottom, Christ is the same. There's going to be moments in our lives where we're riding high and moments where we crash back down to earth and we feel like being a Christian just got ten times harder. There will be those huge anti-climax, calm down moments in our Christian lives. It even happened to the disciples. They crashed down to earth. They forgot the power Jesus gave them to drive out demons. But his power never changed. It's as strong as it always was and it's at work in you today to do great things in his name. Don't forget that like the disciples did. He is at work in you at all times. It is his power at work when you're helping someone who's battling a severe mental health issue, when you're helping someone who's working their way through a messy divorce. When you're helping someone who's lost their main source of income and left them on the breadline, Because remember, Jesus also came down the mountain. He didn't stay on that mountain in the full force of his father's glory. He knew how had to come down the mountain and get his hands dirty. And encounter this boy convulsing and foaming at the mouth. And so it is for us. We have to go out and meet those people who are struggling and suffering in life and seek to help them as Jesus did. We might look at them weeping and shaking and crying and think, I just can't help you. But if you're a Christian, you can always help. With the power of Christ, you can always help. You can remind them who is with them in their suffering, who can conquer any enemy, who is right there loving and caring for them as they weep. Don't forget the power and the strength that you have in Christ. In those harder, calm down moments, don't let yourself be drawn to doubting that Jesus is with you, that he loves you and that he can use you for great things. Jesus may not be with you physically, but don't make the mistake the disciples made in thinking that he isn't there. Don't make the mistake the disciples made in thinking that it's up to your power and not Christ's in life. Remember, Christ's power is always with you by the presence of the Holy Spirit to lift you up when you fall. And it's only by that power that you can do great things in his name. Maybe not to heal or, or to exercise or to completely solve problems and solutions with the click of a finger, but to pray for people, to comfort them, and to point them to Christ. Never underestimate the power that those things can have to heal suffering. So when we crash back down to earth and we look around at our situations in life and we think, Lord, I can't have faith that because Christ can, you can. Stephen.